From Pacifica Radio, this is Democracy Now! But it's shameful when we see today the same hands killing people, burning houses, almost the same way. Part two of our exclusive broadcast interview with President Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Then we go to Jamaica, which along with Venezuela is not recognizing the new government of Haiti. And we hear Noam Chomsky taking a historical look at the so-called rebels of today. There were leaders of the military junta, which killed maybe four or 5,000 people. Uh, the death squads did, the paramilitaries. Uh, what's not mentioned is that the military junta was supported by the Bush and the Clinton administrations. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The U.S.-led coalition in Iraq is continuing to break apart. On Sunday, Spain's new socialist government announced it would withdraw Spanish troops by the end of June without a U.N. mandate. Honduras announced Tuesday it, too, would pull its troops. The Los Angeles Times reports El Salvador and Guatemala might follow suit. And the Netherlands have refused to commit to keeping its troops in Iraq beyond June. To confront this crisis, President Bush has called a meeting at the White House on Friday with ambassadors from 60 nations that have supported U.S. action in Iraq and Afghanistan. Meanwhile, in Australia, Prime Minister John Howard acknowledged Tuesday that he may face an anti-war backlash when Australian voters go to the polls. The Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General has begun investigating whether Bush administration officials committed any wrongdoing last year by lying to Congress about the actual cost of a Medicare bill being considered. The controversy exploded late last week when the Medicare program's longtime actuary, Richard Foster, said he was warned not to disclose that the actual cost of the bill was $130 billion higher than announced. Foster said he was threatened with being fired if he revealed the true estimates. The former head of the Medicare program, Thomas Scully, has admitted he threatened to fire Foster but claims he did so only in jest. The independent panel investigating the September 11th attacks announced Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, Secretary of State Colin Powell, as well as their counterparts in the Clinton administration, William Cohen and Madeleine Albright, will testify at a two-day hearing next week. CIA Director George Tenet and Clinton's National Security Advisor Sandy Berger will also testify. One top official who is not scheduled to appear is National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice, who repeatedly declined on the advice of the White House, citing separation of powers. Meanwhile, Time magazine reports President Bush appointed panel to examine intelligence failures before the invasion of Iraq has yet to meet. Five weeks after the committee was formed, it's unclear when the panel will hold its first meeting. A congressional report released Tuesday has found President Bush and his top four advisors made at least 237 misleading or false statements about the threat posed by Iraq 
over the last two years. The report was requested by California Congress member Henry Waxman and done by the Democratic staff of the House Government Reform Committee. Meanwhile, a coalition of groups known as Win Without War plans to hand a lever to Congress today the signatures of 600,000 people who are urging Congress to censure President Bush for lying about Iraq before the invasion. And across the globe, anti-war groups are preparing to stage protests on March 20th in a global day of action to mark the anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. In Taos, New Mexico, where Donald Rumsfeld owns a home, protesters are planning to topple a 20-foot effigy of the defense secretary. Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat is accusing Israel of trying to destroy the Gaza Strip by engaging in slash-and-burn tactics. Arafat said, quote, they want to destroy Gaza before they leave it, but the Palestinian people will not kneel. In the Rafah refugee camp, Israeli forces killed four Palestinians Tuesday, including two 15-year-old boys. The Palestinian Red Crescent Society reports Israeli forces have killed 30 Palestinians in Gaza and 14 in the West Bank so far this month. Among those killed were 18 minors. The Israeli government has announced plans to pull out of Gaza Strip, but Haaretz has reported the Bush administration has asked Israel not to pull out until after the presidential elections in November. The Department of Homeland Security announced Tuesday it would begin using unmanned aerial drones to monitor people crossing the U.S.-Mexico border in Arizona. Meanwhile, the Pentagon agency DARPA is planning to seek designs to create giant surveillance blimps three times the size of the Goodyear blimp that could hover above a city or battlefield and monitor everything happening. This according to the website Defense Tech. One DARPA official said, quote, We will apply this technology to track people emerging from buildings of interest and follow them as they move to new locations. Imagine the impact it will have if it tracks the movement of individuals for months. Unquote. A new international poll conducted by the Pew Research Center has found that support around the world for the United States has fallen to a new low. Support for President Bush is especially low. In Germany, just 14% of the country view Bush favorably. In 1991, the same poll found 75% of Germans viewed Bush's father favorably. Support for Bush in Muslim countries is even lower. The director of the poll said, quote, This poll says to me the discontent with America is a long-term problem that U.S. leaders have to confront. We've never seen ratings as low as this for America. And a U.S. soldier who's refused to return to serve in Iraq is expected to learn today whether he will be charged with desertion. Staff Sergeant Camilo Mejia of the Florida National Guard has asked to be considered a conscientious objector. He surrendered to the military on Monday after spending five months on the run. He said, quote, I am saying no to war. I went to Iraq and was an instrument of violence, and now I've decided to become an instrument of peace. Académique à 
Sharara here on Democracy Now!, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Since winning independence from the French 200 years ago through a revolutionary slave revolt, Haiti has seen 33 military coups. Jean-Bertrand Aristide is the man overthrown in the two most recent ones. In the early 90s, just a few years after becoming the first democratically elected leader in Haiti's history, Aristide was overthrown by paramilitary death squads working closely with U.S. intelligence agencies. After a few years in exile in Washington, Aristide eventually returned to Haiti and won his second election in 2000. Once again, a few years after being elected president, Aristide has been overthrown in a coup by many of the same men who led the armed insurrection against him a decade earlier. People like Louis-Jodel Chamblain, the t- former number two man in FRAP, convicted in absentia of at least two murders, the justice minister as well as a Haitian businessman during the first coup. Guy Philippe, a former police chief who was trained by U.S. Special Forces in Ecuador, and Jean Tatoun, also convicted of a massacre in Rabato uh, more than 10 years ago. Two weeks ago, after being taken by force to the Central African Republic in what Aristide calls a U.S.-orchestrated coup d'etat, the Haitian president defied Washington this weekend and returned to the Caribbean. He's now in Jamaica, just 130 miles or so from Haiti. I was one of two journalists allowed on the plane that took a delegation of U.S. and Jamaican officials to escort President Aristide and his wife Mildred back to the Caribbean. As we crossed the Atlantic on our way to Kingston, Jamaica, I had a chance to conduct an extensive interview with Jean-Bertrand Aristide on board the Gulfstream jet. Today we play part two of my interview with Aristide, where he discusses his time in power, the first coup, and more. I began by asking him why he disbanded the army after being uh, why he disbanded the army after he was returned to power in 1994, a major issue uh, in Haiti since the current um, prime minister, the man who has uh, been supported by the United States, Gerard Latortue, said one of his first acts would be to restore the Haitian army. This is Jean-Bertrand Aristide's response. We had an army of 7,000 soldiers controlling 40% of the national budget. Not only they led those coups, we had 32 coups d'etat, the last one, 33. After the coup they led in 1991, they and members of a criminal organization well-known, FRAP, killed more than 5,000 Haitians. Some people don't like, when, don't like to hear 5,000 because for them it could be double or more than that. But let's say more than 5,000 people were killed by the army at the time with the, the help of these well-known criminal organizations called FAP. When I went back on October 15, 1994, it was obvious that the Haitian people couldn't go ahead with killers. The Haitian people wanted people to protect them. 
not people to kill them. So the army was disbanded. Now, maybe it's a way to have more drug dealers, like Guy Philippe, who was arrested for drug in Panama, sent back to Santo Domingo, and then back to Haiti with the assistance of those who pretend restoring peace to Haiti. Chamblain was already convicted twice, and now he's back. So having criminals, drug dealers, thugs who were convicted to come back with an army, then we may guess what we had through those 32 coup d'etat leading Haiti from misery to misery while we want to move from misery to poverty with dignity. This is maybe what they have in their minds. When the CARICOM U.S. group came and negotiated the U.S.-backed peace plan that you accepted, um, with Noriega, Roger Noriega, Secretary of State representing the United States. How did they refer to the opposition? How did they refer to the people you just described, Jodel uh, Champlain, In the meeting we had with members of my government and diplomats and heads of international delegations in my office, Mr. Noriega, referring to those thugs, terrorists, said, I will call them killers. That's what he said. I'm shocked when today I still see members of the international community acting with those killers. More than that, accompanying Guy Philip, a killer, to distribute food to people, so trying to project another image of him when, as a well-known drug dealer and a killer, he should be put in jail. So it's a scandal. The world needs to know that. The more they understand what is going on in Haiti today, the more they may join the Haitian people to prevent the killers to continue to do the same, killing people. Jean-Bertrand Aristide on board the charter jet as we headed over the Atlantic. The U.S. delegation headed by Congress member Maxine Waters um, and the Jamaican member of parliament um, Sharon Hay Webster bringing the Aristides to Jamaica. This as uh, members of the Bush administration from Condoleezza Rice to Donald Rumsfeld uh, warned that Jean-Bertrand Aristide should not return to this hemisphere. I asked Haitian President Jean-Bertrand Aristide if he could talk about the killing of the justice minister in Haiti in 1993, uh, Louis-Jodel Chamblain, one of the current so-called rebels, was convicted of murdering Guy Malory. This was Jean-Bertrand Aristide's response. From 1991 to 1994, the Minister of Justice, Guy Malory, Father Jean-Marie Vincent, Antoine Ismery, the people they killed in Gonaïve Raboteau, 
lost their lives because they were calling for democracy, for the restoration of the constitutional order for my return to Haiti. After I returned, we had a trial and Chamblain was convicted by Cotumas twice. Despite of that, nothing happened, only impunity and assistance and heavy machine gun provided to him and to the others to have them appearing as rebels, as if there were not any more killers, people already convicted. This is the cynical picture. We have our September 11, 2001. Chile has their September 11, 1973, the day that Salvador Allende died in the palace of the Pinochet forces rose to power. You have two September 11th, 1988 and 1993. Can you describe what happened to you and your parish, your congregation, September 11th, 1988 at San Juan Bosco? justice, freedom, solidarity. Getting together to pray means empowering all those who share the same faith. If you stand up for justice, then you cannot close the eyes to not see poor people willing to have jobs to eat with dignity. Once you stand up for that, then you may have people not only rejecting you, but also putting fire in a church, burning people. This is what happened that day, September 11, 1988. When we had it elsewhere, not in a church, but in a country like Chile, and President Allende willing to stand up for human beings, for the rights to eat, the rights to go to school, the rights to have health care, and so and so. People who don't care about human beings rejected that through coup d'etat when on September 11, 2001, something tragical happened in the United States called terrorism. We saw the world rejecting terrorism as if when, for instance, we have Guy Philippe Chamblain, well known as terrorists, drug dealers, convicted people, armed by those who pretend helping Haiti to kill Haitians. It's like if it's not anymore terrorism. So racism somehow is linked to that cynical game. Jean-Bertrand Aristide on board the plane where the U.S.-Jamaican delegation was escorting him back to Jamaica. 
In a few minutes, we'll go to Jamaica to talk about the situation there, the Jamaican and Venezuelan governments not recognizing the new government of Haiti, as Jean-Bertrand Aristide and his wife um, are in Jamaica for a few weeks to decide what next to do. This is Democracy Now! In a minute, we'll return to the second part of this interview. Stay with us. This is Democracy Now!, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we continue with the interview with President Aristide, I had asked the Haitian president on board this flight uh, where he and his wife uh, traveled for 17 hours to get back to Jamaica. Um, You can go to our website at democracynow.org to see the chronicle of this trip uh, brought to the Central African Republic uh, by the United States uh, with dozens of U.S. military and security taken there the early hours of February 29th, taken out of Haiti, not knowing where they were going. Uh, They said, told by... uh, the uh, one of the top men in the U.S. Embassy, Luis Moreno, who had come to the president's residence, that he would be going to address the press. Instead, he was rushed onto a mil- he was rushed onto a U.S. plane. I asked Jean-Bertrand Aristide if he could go back in time as we look at the current rebel leaders like Jodel Chamblain, convicted of the murders of not only the justice minister in 1993, Guy Mallory, but the Haitian businessman. Uh, Antoine Ismery in 1993 about the significance of Haiti's September 11th. In 1988, the massacre at um, Saint-Jean Bosco Church, Jean-Bertrand Aristide's church, he had been a priest. Um, And that happened September 11th, 1988. Five years later, uh, September 11th, 1993, the Haitian multimillionaire businessman, Antoine Ismery, joined a procession to remember the victims of the Saint-Jean Bosco massacre, and he, too, was executed. I asked Jean-Bertrand Aristide about this. On September 11, 1988, they burned the church, they burned people, killed people, as I explained. While I was in exile, Antoine Ismery went to the Church of Sacré-Cœur on the same day, September 11, to remember what happened in 88, to bring his solidarity to the parents, relatives, friends of the victims, and also to empower those who were peacefully fighting 
for our return, which was clearly the restoration of democracy to Haiti. And the same people who made it happen in Saint-Jean Bosco made it happen again in Sacré-Cœur. The worst was already that, but it's shameful when we see today the same hands killing people, burning houses, almost the same way. Jodel Chamblain was convicted of Ismaili's murder in absentia. Yes. yes, yes, Yet, when we watch television, where most people get their news and information, we almost never hear that mentioned. They will not, because since last November, they brought to Haiti a good number of journalists. We fought hard for the freedom of press. So we will continue to respect the rights of any single journalist. But unfortunately, what happened from November to today is a tragic event where it seems money was spent to bribe journalists, not all of them, but some of them. Money was used to finance radio station, playing the card of so-called opposition linked to Chamblain, linked to Guy Philippe, being the voices. When Jean Tatoun was convicted, put in jail, escaped from jail, and giving interview to those radio stations, to TVs, God, which kind of impunity are we talking about? Which kind of freedom for the press are we talking about? Is it freedom for the press as a cover for impunity or as a full place where you use your rights to talk, to criticize, to say what you want? Yes, we had that in Haiti where journalists could talk, but all the journalists who were in Haiti from November to the coup or kidnapping were not there just to tell the truth, but also some of them were there because they were paid to relay the lies which spread disinformation around the world, paving the way for the kidnapping. Every year, for the past couple of years, 56 million U.S. dollars went to Haiti to finance political parties, NGOs, radio stations, TV stations, journalists who got all visa from embassies lying to discredit our fragile democracy or money from those 56 million U.S. dollars. Recently, for the past year, it became 70 million US dollars. So this is well known, it's not a secret. So you're saying the US government poured this money in? That money came from abroad, US, Europe, through EU, and organizations like that.
and maybe this is the last question for okay. TV. Okay. Do you see similarities with what happened with you and what is continuing to happen with Hugo Chavez in Venezuela? They say that I, our I, was behind the coup which happened in Venezuela and still behind what is going on in Venezuela. The International Republican Institute. Yeah. They say they have their hands through what is happening in Haiti. Often they organize seminaries in DR for the so-called opposition where they had Guy Philippe, Chamblain and members of the Haitian opposition training them to kill to talk after killing, to project an image of democratic opposition with heavy machine guns on your shoulders, blood in the hands, etc. So this is, from my point of view, the same hands behind the same things happening in two different countries. Do you have information that people who support you people who are part of Lavalas are being threatened or killed in Haiti right now? A good number of them are in hiding, not because they are cowards, but because this is a strategy to spend time where they may not kill you, to come back in a peaceful way and continue to support democracy calling for the restoration of the constitutional order. Orders were killed. I'm very sad when I think about those who were killed. Others left the country by boat to go to Florida. And unfortunately, when the house is in fire, those who put fire in the house are the same who sent back the victims fleeing the fire put in that house. Violation of international law and attraction more and more attraction to have more good people because as long as you continue to kill people in the country you invite them to come to your country because they will continue to flee that occupation when you were th ousted in 1991 for the three-year period there was not only a mass movement in haiti but a mass movement in the united states of support and solidarity. Do you have any message you want to send to the American people? I will say thank you to all the American people who supported democracy with the Haitian people and who continue to support the Haitian people supporting democracy in Haiti. We want elections in Haiti, free, fair, democratic elections. That means one human being, one vote, which is a democratic principle. We want to respect that principle. I know how the American people care for that democratic principle. They want to see their vote respected. As we in Haiti, we want to see the vote of the people respected. By supporting us, the American people support what they want to be supported in their own country. And because any democratic process 
which is well protected may be good for any country where they want democratic system. I think somehow Haiti and the United States, we are linked by democracy and democratic principle. As we are linked to all the countries where they care for that democratic principle. One human being, one vote. That's why I think by <clears throat> expressing our gratitude to our friends living in the U.S. or being U.S. citizens, we think they find through this gratitude energy to continue to build solidarity with the Haitian people. Once we had Haitians in Savannah building solidarity with the American people to free the American people, once we got our independence in 1804, Louisiana Purchase became possible. And at that time, Louisiana by itself represented almost half of the territory of the United States at that time. So we have in common many things, historic ties, principles, democratic principles, which makes it good for us to continue to work hard for democracy, which has to flourish not only in one country or in two countries, but in our region. Very last question. You are going to Jamaica now, which is very close to Haiti. Do you see yourself returning to Haiti? I always paid attention to the voice of the Haitian people, as I will continue to pay attention to their voice. Paying attention to their voice respectfully, I will know what to do step by step. Thank you. President Maristine, thank you very much. Thank you so much. President Jean-Bertrand Aristide of Haiti ousted on February 28th, February 29th in the early morning hours as one of the top men of the U.S. Embassy in Haiti, Luis Moreno, came to the president's residence and the Aristide say told them that they would speak to the press. They traveled and instead of speaking to the press, were whisked onto a plane with dozens of U.S. military and security. In yesterday's first part of the interview with Jean-Bertrand Aristide, he said that the military was dressed in full combat gear, but on the flight changed to civilian clothes. They refueled in Antigua, but no one could leave, and then traveled for almost 24 hours not knowing where they would go, and ended up in the Central African Republic. The U.S. delegation, led by Congress member Maxine Waters, uh, together with the Jamaican member of Parliament, Sharon Hay Webster, um, went to Central African Republic this weekend and basically called the bluff of the United States, saying if he is not being held prisoner in this very remote area of Africa, which you can only get to by plane once a week, very hard to reach um, the president of Haiti, even by telephone, if he is not being held prisoner, 
then he should be free to go. And after tense negotiations with the dictator of the Central African Republic on the eve of the first anniversary of the coup there in CAR, uh, the dictator, after Aristide believed calling the United States and France to consult with them, said that Jean-Bertrand Aristide and Mildred Aristide could leave. And so they did and went to Jamaica despite the warnings of the U.S. government saying they should not come within 150 miles of Haiti. They went to Jamaica. Now, President Aristide, in his third day there, uh, by returning to the Caribbean, the Haitian president defying Washington, as well as the newly U.S.-backed Haitian government, uh, the new Prime Minister of Haiti, Gerard Terlatortou, said Monday he was recalling Haiti's ambassador to Jamaica and putting relations on hold after Aristide's return to the region. He also suspended Haiti's participation in CARICOM. La Tortue reportedly settled on a list of 13 cabinet members to form an interim government. None of the positions include any of the Lavalas family party. La Tortue had pledged earlier to include Lavalas members in order to form a government of national reconciliation. Jamaica says it will not recognize the new Haitian government, at least until after a regional summit of the Caribbean community scheduled for next week. In addition, Venezuela is also refusing to recognize La Tortue's government. Uh, Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez said, quote, the president of Haiti is called Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Chavez offered asylum yesterday to Aristide, who initially went to Caracas after the first coup in 1991. We go now to Jamaica to a veteran journalist, John Maxwell, covered Caribbean affairs for close to half a century, currently a columnist for the Jamaica Observer, joining us from Kingston, where uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide first touched down on Monday. Welcome to Democracy Now! Morning, how are you? Very good. Can you talk about... on your intrepid adventure. Well, can... <laughs> Can you talk about um, Jamaica right now, the response to the Aristides being there, and at least at this point, Jamaica not recognizing uh, the new government of Haiti? Well, first of all, it, the Jamaica is officially, shall we say, divided along political lines that the official opposition does not want Aristide here and the people in, on the government side, the People's National Party members, which is a majority, want him here. We, are, um, we welcome him as a brother, and um, we believe that he deserves to be back near his roots, although we believe that his roots and Jamaica's roots are more or less the same. So we don't. I don't think he needs to fear anything from any Jamaican, even though some of us are not enthusiastic about him. But most of us, I believe, are glad that he's found um, a refuge here. The um, as far as the recognition is concerned, well, first of all, Mr. Latortue can't say he suspended relations with CARICOM because CARICOM had already suspended relations with Haiti. Um, they refused to recognize the government, and um, they said that originally that they were uh, they wanted a democratic restoration, restoration of democracy, which suggested to people like me that they were then backing the restoration of Aristide. 
But it seems fairly clear to me that um, pressure from the United States, while it hasn't been able to, 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 to force the Jamaican government to backtrack on the decision to give Aristide some sort of um, sanctuary here, um, has made them very nervous about the business of not recognizing the new government. What I cannot see, legally, they are committed not to recognize a government which has taken power by force. They are committed to recognize the lawful president of Haiti, who is President Aristide. There is only one president of Haiti. Um, and so it, life is going to be very difficult when CARICOM meets, because I believe CARICOM is not... They're not all entirely on the same page in regard to this. I think there are some people who back Aristide, and there are some people who are very nervous about the American connection. And, you know, the whole episode tells you a great deal about the American foreign policy these days, which does not depend so much on negotiation and, um, you know, friendship but more on the the exercise of force and the threat of force or coercion in the case of the Caribbean, because we're all poor. We've all been um, castrated by the IMF. So we all depend on foreign currency, foreign loans. So we are all highly vulnerable to whatever happens in the United States. So we are, you know, almost in the position where they can make us offers that we can't refuse. It takes it would take somebody of great intestinal fortitude to tell the Americans to go peddle their papers, which is what I believe we should be doing. But I'm not sure that that's what's going to happen. Very quickly, um, the U.S. ambassador to Haiti saying that Jean-Bertrand Aristide shouldn't return within 130 miles of Haiti, and um, uh, the warning of the U.S. government to P.J. Patterson saying that he is taking a risk and a responsibility here. Well, I didn't know that Mr. Bush was the Prime Minister of Jamaica or that Mr. Foley was the Prime Minister of Jamaica. I think that what they're doing is entirely improper, and I believe a lot of Jamaicans feel that way. I think that when Mrs. Cobb, the ambassador to Jamaica, warned the Prime Minister about the risks that he was taking, I think that this is improper. I think this is an interference in the, in the internal affairs of Jamaica. And also, it seems to me that it is... It is illegal because we have all signed on to various declarations in the um, inter-American system that we're going to support democracy and that we're not going to support usurpation. John Maxwell, on that note, I want to thank you very much for being with us, veteran journalist, now a columnist with the Jamaica Observer. When we come back, some historical notes from Professor Noam Chomsky. Stay with us.
Angelique Kajou here on Democracy Now!, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we go to historical notes of Professor Noam Chomsky, Professor of Linguistics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, he spoke just before Aristide was ousted. Uh, in Haiti, you can read on the front pages of the main newspapers uh, that death squad leaders are rampaging through the country. Uh, the uh, death squad leaders, apart from a hideous record in the in earlier years, uh, were responsible for maybe four to 5,000 uh, deaths during the period of the military junta from 1990 to 94, uh, 91 to 94. Uh, the military junta, uh, uh, though it's... Uh, this, this, that much is reported. They were leaders of the military junta, which killed maybe four or 5,000 people. Uh, the death squads did, the paramilitaries. Uh, what's not mentioned is that the military junta was supported by the Bush and the Clinton administrations. In fact, just to quickly go over the background, there's a long, ugly, horrifying history going back two centuries, but just starting in 1990, uh, the, uh, Haiti did have its first uh, free election in 1990. The U.S. had a candidate, uh, World Bank uh, official Mark Bazin, who had assumed would obviously win. He had all the money and everything else. Uh, nobody was paying attention to what was going on in the slums and the streets and the hills. And what was going on was pretty impressive. A lot of large-scale, effective organizing among some of the poorest, uh, most miserable people in the world. And grassroots movements had developed with nobody paying any attention, which were so powerful that when it did come to an election, they swept the election. Uh, The U.S. candidate got 14% of the vote, uh, and uh, President Aristide won by a very large majority, which shocked everybody. Uh, the United States instantly, instantly turned to overthrowing the government. Uh, it uh, withdrew support from badly, desperately needed support from the government, and not because the government was inefficient. It was getting very good marks from the international lending institutions and so on, uh, but because it had broken the rules. Uh, it was a popular government that had been elected on the basis of large-scale grassroots organizing. All aid was withdrawn from the government. Uh, aid was given, but only to the opposition. Uh, up until that point, uh, under agreements, first with Carter, then intensified with Reagan, uh, the U.S. had a virtual blockade around the island during the period of the vicious military dictatorships that the U.S. was supporting uh, to try to prevent people from escaping. Uh, That's illegal, of course. It's a gross violation of the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights and conventional humanitarian law, but anyway, that's what was going on. Uh, They changed it when Aristide was elected. For the first time, Haitians were allowed to come to the United States and accept political asylum not when they were being tortured by Duvalier's thugs. Uh, It didn't matter too much because very few people were trying to get out. In fact, during that moment of hope, people for the first time were trying to get in. But if anyone was trying to get out, they were for the first time allowed to be called political refugees. Uh, When the coup took place, as was anticipated, seven months later, it reversed. Uh, Then nobody could flee again because they weren't political refugees. Uh, The... Organization of American States uh, called an embargo. 
after the military coup, uh, Bush, who was then president, announced right away that the U.S. would disregard it. Uh, uh, it would permit U.S. firms to break the embargo to continue providing aid to commerce with the military junta and the rich, its rich uh, backers. Uh, the press did report this. The New York Times reported it as uh, an effort to fine-tune the embargo for the benefit of the Haitian poor, uh, namely by allowing U.S. firms to violate the embargo. That passed without comment. Uh, and in fact, trade with Haiti continued, extended under Clinton even further. Uh, the crucial element in the embargo, any embargo is oil. Haiti, you know, military would, and the rich elite would run out, of, wouldn't be able to continue if they didn't have oil. The CIA was uh, testifying solemnly to Congress that no oil was getting in. I, I was there for some of the time. I've been in a lot of horrible places. This is most, I've never seen people so terrorized and uh, uh, terrified, just afraid to open their mouths. Uh, but all you had to do was walk around the streets of Port-au-Prince to see the CIA was lying. I mean, you could see the oil farms being built. You could go to the harbor and see the ships coming in with the oil. But the pretense was maintained that the U.S. was uh, not permitting oil to go in. Uh, it later turned out uh, that uh, the Bush and the Clinton administrations had uh, authorized Texaco Oil Corporation uh, to uh, circumvent presidential directives and supply oil, oil illegally to the gangsters who were torturing and terrorizing the population. That has yet to be printed outside of the business press. It was known in 1994, uh, the, and the dissident press, of course, which isn't con subject to those constraints. Uh, finally, in 1994, uh, Clinton decided that uh, the... Uh, population had been tortured enough, and the president was permitted to return. Uh, that is described, this, what I just said, you don't read in the front pages, but I'm coming back to what you do read. Uh, what you do read is that this was a magnificent act of uh, humanitarian intervention, pure altruism, uh, entering the noble phase of foreign policy uh, as we restored the democratically elected president in Continuing with what isn't reported, uh, the president was indeed allowed to return, but on a condition, namely the condition that he accept the program of the defeated U.S. candidate in the 1990 election uh, who had gotten 14% of the vote. Uh, that is a very harsh neoliberal program which opens Haiti up to complete takeover by foreign meaning U.S. mainly corporations, uh, no constraints. It was bound to be an economic disaster for what shreds of the economy remained. Uh, it's a familiar program. Uh, you're, it has just been imposed on Iraq by the uh, proconsul uh, Paul Bremer. Uh, Order 39 last October uh, declares that uh, Iraq... Uh, the Iraqi economy must be open to and take over by foreign, mainly U.S. multinationals. Uh, the banks, U.S. banks, J.P. Morgan and others, have to be able to take over the financial 
uh, institutions, which means essentially running the economy, uh, and uh, everything else can be bought up by foreign, mainly U.S. businesses. Uh, no sovereign country would ever accept that, uh, but this is a country under military occupation. The business classes in Iraq are protesting because they know they can't withstand uh, international competition from U.S. massively subsidized U.S. multinationals, but doesn't matter. Uh, Bremer also imposed a 15% top tax. Uh, Bush administration delight. Uh, again, no sovereign country would accept that. It's programs like that that in the last couple of centuries that Adam Smith was complaining about. In fact, it's programs like that, forced imposition of market principles on countries under military occupation. Uh, that's basically what's created what's today the third world. Uh, the rich countries, including the United States, have never accepted such rules. And uh, if, if they, if the, actually, it's interesting. Adam Smith. Uh, urged the U.S. colonies, this is 1776, uh, to uh, pursue comparative advantage to do what they're good at. What they were good at was agricultural production, you know, catching beavers, uh, sending fish to England. He said, concentrate on that. That's the best way to maximize efficiency. Uh, but don't try to develop industry. That would be crazy uh, because British industry is far more efficient, which was true and uh, you'll just be harming overall efficiency if you try to develop your own industry. Well, you know, same laws for India, but India had to accept them because they were under occupation. The U.S. was able to throw the British out, uh, disregard the advice, which happens to be the same advice that economists are now giving to the poor countries of the world, and it uh, violated the principles of comparative advantage uh, and uh, economic efficiency and developed its own industry, uh, and the uh, story goes on from there. If the U.S. had followed the rules, uh, the ones now imposed on Iraq and Haiti and others, uh, we would be uh, not here. We'd be, maybe a couple of us would be around uh, talking in some hut somewhere uh, while we're off to catch fish to send to England or something, pursuing our comparative advantage. Uh, anyhow, Haiti had to accept that. Uh, as a condition on the return of the elected president. That's the great humanitarian achievement. Well, uh, it was what, what was predicted at once happened. Uh, the remnants of Haitian uh, economic uh, functioning were destroyed, of course. Uh, Haitian farmers, rice farmers, for example, happen to be quite efficient. Uh, they're producing, they are producing, were producing rice uh, efficiently that uh, high quality, which was feeding the population. And now you'll read that Haiti can't uh, uh, feed itself, which is correct, uh, because Haitian rice farmers, though efficient, uh, could not begin to compete with uh, U.S. agribusiness, uh, high-tech agribusiness, which may, gets maybe 40% of its profits uh, from subsidies uh, granted to it by uh, the Reaganites under a free market doctrine, the way it actually works. Uh, the same happened with just about whatever was left. And one of the few uh, businesses that was actually functioning in Haiti was uh, making chicken parts. Uh, but it turned out it turns out that Americans don't like dark meat. So there's lots of extra dark meat lying around here. And uh, companies like Tyson uh, don't want to throw it out. Uh, they would like to force other countries to buy it. 
uh, at dumped prices. Uh, so they dumped dark meat on Haiti. They tried to do it in Canada and Mexico, but those countries are able to impose barriers to dumping. However, uh, Haiti wasn't allowed to because of the condition for their uh, freedom, so that industry was wiped out. And so it goes case after case. The result is complete chaos, uh, destruction, uh, what you're described seeing today on the page on the front pages. Well, that's the background. Uh, now let's come to the doctrine, uh, the Bush doctrine. Uh, the uh, head of the paramilitary forces that are now rampaging once again in uh, Haiti uh, is a gentleman named uh, Emmanuel Constant, who is living happily in Queens. Uh, the uh, there's no question about his responsibility. He's already been tried in absentia in Haitian courts, and there's no, no one really questions that he was the leader of FRAP, the terrorist forces, state terrorist forces. Uh, Haiti has uh, uh, made several efforts to have the United States extradite him, uh, but they rarely even get a response. Uh, some of these are interesting. The timing is interesting. Uh, one request was on September 30th, 2001. I was right in the middle of the furor over the fact that the Taliban are unwilling to turn over to us someone who the U.S. accuses of terrorism without providing any evidence. You know, big topic, therefore we're going to bomb Afghanistan. Uh, Haiti requested extradition of Emmanuel Constant. It was mentioned in the sort of back pages, but obviously no response. It's not our kind of thing. Pres- uh, Noam Chomsky talking about Haiti and the global order. If you'd like to get a copy of today's show, you can call 1-800-881-2359, 1-800-881-2359, our website, democracynow.org. Tomorrow, we look at the relationship between the Bushes and the Sods. I'm Amy Goodman. Stay with us. Stay with us.